Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, do no harm and then do you. This is the first ever time that I have not named the episode after a line from the show or movie, but from a line shared by my brand new guest, Dr. Kristen Donnelly, a leader in empathy work and a major contributor to the MCU fandom in our discussion about episodes four and five of What If. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind the scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, a new guest here on There Was an Idea. It's Dr. Kristen Donnelly, a massive fan and contributor to the MCU fandom. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kristen. Oh my gosh, it is a joy and a pleasure. I'm so excited to talk about Marvel. (laughs) Well, before we dig into our conversation specifically about what if today, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Oh, gracious. So I have been in fandoms since uh, I started to have all sorts of feelings about the idea that Joey might end up with Dawson instead of Pacey (laughs) and took to the internets uh, to, to see if I was alone in this consternation, discovered of course that I was not and began to write fan fiction and joined a fandom community. And since then I have always been in at least one fandom. Sometimes I'm active in producing transformative works and sometimes I'm not, but I have been a fan for my whole life of various things. And Marvel was definitely tangential for me for a little while. Uh, you know, I went to the movies, I had fun. And then I went to go see Endgame. And I, I didn't, I understood why they told the story the way they told it. Uh, I could see why they thought they had to end that way. Uh, but for me, it was all it, like every single conclusion in that movie was the lowest hanging fruit. And I wanted to write the more creative solutions. So I got back into fan fiction and from there tumbled face first into the very immersive Marvel online fandom experience, particularly around the creation of fan works and other transformative works. Um, My day job is to be an empathy educator and I help people figure out how to human together a little bit better. And so that also means I run a, a podcast and a YouTube channel with my business partner. And we've actually talked about Falcon and Winter Soldier on there because we think it has a lot to say and a lot to teach us about how to be better humans. And uh, in terms of fandom, in the meantime, I'm a, I, I think I'm up to almost 200 published works on Archive of Our Own. Wow. Uh, I have a fandom wow. podcast. I help run Marvel Trump's Hate, which is a massive... A yearly fandom auction. We've raised almost $100,000 over the last three and a half years to causes that would be near and dear to Steve Rogers' heart. And uh, so that's kind of my jam. I spend a good chunk of my free time thinking about superheroes and all their ephemera. Wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing about that. And I think you've got one of the more unique relationships to the MCU answers that uh, that's a question I always ask my new guests and to hear that a lot of the uh, deeper involvement in the fandom came from your experience with Endgame and wanting to have a creative voice in the matter is really, really interesting. And 
I love so much what you said about that connection between what you do in teaching empathy and seeing the connections in what some of these uh, shows and characters can reveal to us. And that's something that's very near and dear to my heart as well. And I've talked on the podcast before about my own relationship to teaching and this job and, and what it means to work with young people and to hopefully inspire them and the the inspiration that I find in the MCU as well. So I, I see a lot of connections uh, between us already. So thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. I'm very, most of the transformative works that I create are like, are not anything to do with the superhero parts of the canon. I am fascinated by these people mm -hmm. and the humans around them. So like, I write a lot of fanfic where, you know, like, Tony's a teacher or Steve's the president of the United States or something like that. It's a lot more about what, if you strip back all of the Marvel stuff, what, what makes these people tick and make the decisions that they make and what can we learn from their decisions? And, um, you know, and there's so many, I've watched most of the cartoons at this point and I've read some of the comic runs and I talk to people who read all of the comics and what's fascinating is the pieces of those characters that stay the same, no matter what iteration you're looking at and the pieces that change You know, the nuances that RDJ brought to Tony in the MCU versus what he's like in the six, you know, in the ultimates comic run versus what he's like in earth's mightiest heroes. And there's so many similarities there, but there's enough nuance that those of us who like to create can really get our teeth into these folks Right. And have a, have fun in ways that I have not found in a lot of other fandoms. For me, the last immersive experience like this that I got was Harry Potter in the same way that I could strip back all of the magic and still have fun with the humans. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. I think that that to me too is at the end of the day, right? We have the flashy action sequences and we have the cool uh, style and powers that these characters bring. And all of that stuff is really fun to watch. But when you get to the root of who these characters are, and especially now that the MCU is kind of following more the style of the comics, where you might be seeing the same character, but in different timelines or different universes, variants of the same character, what are those qualities that maybe the character has all the time, no matter what, that is deeply rooted into them is something to look out for. So I have to ask, who are some of your favorite characters in the MCU, both in terms of who you connect with on the screen and who you like to write for when you're writing your fan works? Uh, so I, <laughs> I, Bucky, Steve, and Tony are my three, like, triumvirate. <laughs> um, when I'm writing one, both, or all of them are usually the romantic feature that I'm writing. I write rom-coms. That's what I write. I write romance fic. Cool. Um, but I also love writing Peter. I love writing Nat. I love writing Pepper. Um, I love writing all of them. I am a huge Pepper Potts was done wrong by the MCU. Like I will, <laughs> one of my soapboxes is that is is that she was all is that she was done wrong essentially sure and uh i have strong feelings about how pepper could have been so much more richly realized um and and who she must really be to tony for tony to make the decisions that he's made but in terms of who like i really do resonate with tony 
And I really do resonate with Bucky, both for different reasons and in different ways. And I love thinking about them. Um, and I love Steve. Like I will, I can opine for a long time about why the serum is what it is and what it did to Steve Rogers and and his arc of how he is essentially the world's longest untreated PTSD case. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of what that looks like. And I can really dig into that. And I have a lot of fun thinking about that, but I, I write Tony and Bucky the easiest because they make the most sense to my brain. Sure. And I have the most fun with them. I think watching them, even though I never think we get enough Bucky like ever. (laughs) Um, and, uh, so yeah, I think, but I'm also one of the people that like, I don't rewatch the movies that much. Um, I am so much, I have so much more fun in the transformative workspace than I do in the canonical space. And what's interesting about that is that even something like this what if tele- television show is kind of working in that realm as well, right? It's saying that these texts that we have, the canonical texts, these 25 films of the MCU and however many TV shows and so on, right, are are some form of of jumping off space for these alternate stories. And of course then we also know on a larger level, the stories we're getting in the MCU come from characters who are already originated in the comics. So this idea of taking the spirit of characters that you see in an earlier iteration and then doing something new with them, it's interesting how obviously that plays out in something like fan fiction and fan and fan work. But then it's also something that with the right money and producers behind it becomes a show like what if? (laughs) Oh, completely. Like when they first announced this, all of us on discord were like, okay, so they're making fan fiction canon. Like, (laughs) where do we all get in on this? Like we've been told for years that, that our, our stuff is kind of wrong, but I mean, I've read fix that are, are the plots of these episodes and the fix did some of them better, but we can get into that in a minute. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm also a big believer that um, comics themselves are transformative works Mm -hmm. and that there is no such thing as canon really. And so uh, that's, there's a, a large debate within fandom of if you write canon or if you write alternate universe and I'm the annoying person in every single one of those that are like, friends, if you have two dudes kiss, you're writing an alternate universe, you're writing a multiverse out. If the only relationships that Canon have has given us are these 10 relationships, if you're writing something else, you're automatically writing an alternative universe. And they're like, well, I can really, and I'm like, no, that's my stance. Mm-hmm. Like my, the minute you start playing in a transformative workspace, you're in an alternate universe. But because I don't really care about Canon, I don't write fight scenes. I'm terrible at writing <laughs> fight scenes. And so I don't, um, And so like, even if I'm writing a fic where there's a big, you know, whole thing and it's, it's canon based, I'm using air quotes. um, I will have them like, I write the shawarma scene at the end of Avengers. I don't (laughs) write, I don't write the everything else. Um, And I have a lot of respect for people that can write the big fight, but I have a lot more fun with the shawarma scenes. Uh, And so, yeah, I think for me, the beauty of comics is that everything is a transformative work. Okay. So you don't really like, you know, this version of, you know, you've always wondered what would happen if Bucky didn't get captured by Hydra. Good news. You've got more, you've got ultimates and you can have 
Bucky with Steve's childhood sweetheart. <laughs> like, what does it look like if Bucky is in Steve's life, but Bucky's in his 80s and Steve's in his 30s? Cool. Good news for you. Comics has answered that question. So it's, it's um, yeah, I just have so much, to me, it's so much more freedom and that allows allows for this way. I mean, like I'm reading Tanahashi Coates's treatment of Captain mm-hmm. America right now. And that is to me resonates so much with the spirit of who Cap is, but you can't square those episodes with how Chris Evans played him in the MCU. They're very, the nuances are stark enough that, that it would be very difficult. I think for Chris to bring, to put Tanahashi's version of Steve on the stage, on the screen. And I love that. I think that's really cool. Yeah. This is a really, really interesting take. And I think in terms of your, your, um, your stance on if you have a relationship that wasn't one of the ones given to us on screen, that kind of automatically makes it AU. I think that that's in line with the reasoning that we're getting from the what if show too, right? That all it takes is kind of like one choice, one moment, like one small thing, and you're in an alternate universe or a part, a different part of the multiverse, a different timeline, whatever it might be, the language that you're, they're using in series. And so I think that's kind of interesting, an interesting parallel between what you're saying in terms of even different approaches within fandom to, to approaches to these, these works of, of fan fiction. Really interesting stuff. This is really cool. So I know you mentioned that you're not really a big rewatcher of the movies and that the movies are not really the the space that that you uh, find the most resonance in correct me if my language is is assuming <laughs> um, no you're totally right I, I'm not a movie rewatcher full stop like it's not just that I don't rewatch Marvel like there's only about 10 movies I rewatch over and over again and uh, none of them are none of them involve fight scenes sure <laughs> so it's just not it's just not my jam i will play the marvel lego video games over and over and over again cool but i'm not i'm just not a huge movie person but in terms of like i'm sure you're going to ask what my favorite one is that that's where i was going yeah <laughs> totally fair um there is a part i will always love iron man 1 on a very deep and true level because that's when i fell in love with tony and not like sexually, although obviously high, high. <laughs> um, but the idea that his brain is what his superpower is, like my, I've always, I'm the smart kid. I'm not the kid that is the, that has athletic ability. I'm not, you know, the prettiest girl in school. I've always just been the smart kid. And when I was growing up, then it was Batman is who we were told to kind of resonate with. And I was like, cool, but like Batman's not the smartest guy. He's the richest guy. Very true, <laughs> that very doesn't, true. that doesn't, that doesn't resonate with me. And so then I'm watching in this movie theater and this guy is literally, you know, built his salvation out of scraps in a cave. And I was like, I don't care how rich you are. His money meant nothing in that moment. True. All Tony had was his brain. And I was like, okay, I can save the world with my brain. I've seen, I've seen it. I've seen it on screen. And I, I love the sass of it. I love the, the writing of it. I love all of it. So I'll always love that. And then um, in terms, I really, really do love uh, the Winter Soldier movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love, I think for me, it's the best crafted actually of the whole canon uh, in terms of a cinematic story. It has the least amount of plot holes, which I feel like Marvel makes a hobby out of leaving plot holes. <laughs> 
So that's that's mine. But I joked actually earlier today on Discord that my new favorite Captain America movie is the first episode of What If. <laughs> so that I find that I find that so much more fun. But I I love Spider Man, mm-hmm. um, this new incarnation of him. But I don't necessarily love any of the movies. I just love Tom Holland and Zendaya, and how they work together. They're great. Uh, so yeah, my favorite, but yeah, in totality, very, very honestly, my favorite MCU movies are the ones I have in my head. If I had to pick the two, it would be Iron Man one and winter soldier. And I'm going to ask you also somewhat selfishly, because it sounds like you are far more familiar with the comics than I am. But in having the conversations that I have for the podcast, I've gotten a few really good recommendations from some of my guests do you have a recommendation for me uh, for a, a comic issue or or uh, volume to to uh, potentially get into? Have you met? Have you read Matt Fraction's Hawkeye? I have not. I think this was the okay. same one that I was recommended recently. I think. Yeah, it is for me. It's I don't care for how Jeremy Renner plays Clint. Um, and I, so I was very famous within fandom for say, like within my pocket of fandom, I'm not a big name in fandom. I'm not a huge deal at, on any stretch of the imagination, but like within my circle of friends, I was like, I hate Clint, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they're like, right. So when I read fan fiction, I completely replace Renner's Clint with fractions, Clint, and okay. you need to read fraction. Okay. And I was like, okay. So I did that. And that's a good one. Uh, Tanahashi Coates's run of black Panther. Yes is one that I press into people's hands who don't read comics and essentially say, I don't care. You have to read this. Um, and how he wrestles with what we see on screen between Killmonger and T'Challa on paper is just, I mean, it's Tanahashi Coates. Like he's incredible. Um, and then my, my favorite Tony, my favorite Steve run is a short one called man out of time. Okay. Yes. I've heard of that. I believe. Okay. And that one is the one that has the panel that's very famous on Tumblr, which is like Jarvis and Steve are talking and Jarvis says, can you like, can I get you anything, uh, Mr. Rogers and, or sir, I can't remember captain. And Steve says, can you find a block of ice to put me back into? And Jarvis essentially says fresh out. And Steve goes, then no, I'm good. (laughs) Um, and to me, that's so like, that's peak Steve. Like that's, I can't, I I can't with this century anymore, but I still have to, and I understand. Um, so I love that one. And then the best Tony one for me is extremist where we, the run that's literally just called extremist and where you see him wrestling, uh, with what that means, what science and technology and his genius really means for the human race. So those four um, I'm not completely through Tanahashi's run of cap, but I mean, I would reckon as of right now where I am about three issues in, I would recommend that, but truly the four Tanahashi Coates black Panther, Matt fractions, Hawkeye, um, man out of time and extremists are the four that I, I tend to give to starting comic folks. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. And I am looking forward to, uh, getting a couple of those on my bookshelf soon Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Before we do move on and start talking about what if, I just have to say that (laughs) I'm very intrigued by how you put it that you, when you write these characters in your fan works, that you are are maybe casting them in different roles in the world and you're looking at kind of who that person is as opposed to more of the, the superhero stuff. 
And I have, have said a couple of times on the podcast that the scenes in Age of Ultron, when all of the characters are kind of sitting around in their layman's clothes and they go to Hawkeye's family's farm and they're, you know, wearing flannels and sweaters and things like that. I've always said, like, I want to see more of the story of just like who these people are hanging out with each other. And that's a very, <laughs> that's a very appealing part of the fandom for me is that I think a lot of fans have imbued in these characters a, a sense of relationship among them. And yes, sometimes that involves shipping and sometimes that involves a lot of, of uh, fictionalizing things that we only get little tiny hints of on the screen. But it's so cool to see how artists and writers do that within the fandom space. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I mean, I can opine for a long time about fandom and and how all fandoms I've ever been in and the study of fandoms full stop tends to be a magnet for societal misfits that we do not see ourselves or our own stories in mainstream media. So whether that's body size, sexuality, gender identity, racial makeup, what have you. And so very frequently what fandom will do is queer anything that is mainstream. The most famous of which, of course, is the Supernatural TV show. That literally the fandom of that show spawned an entirely new dynamic uh, called Alpha, Beta, Omega. That's like a whole other thing because um, they were so intent on playing themselves as a fandom with the intellectual property of Eric Kripke and, and everybody else. But every fandom I've ever been in has done this and everybody is, it's always queer. We always queer everybody. That's, that's what happens. But the other thing we always do is found family. Mm-hmm. So every, like, there are fandoms I'm in that are much less, much, much less friendly to the found family vibe than Marvel is. But when I interview people about why they're in Marvel, the found family vibe of the team, whatever team, the Guardians, the Guardians, the Avengers, the Eternals, all of that is a found family element. And people that gravitate to fandom very frequently, statistically, this is research, may not have a sense of of belonging with their biological family or with their local community. And so they seek family, community, belonging online. This has been true for, for decades. And they did it in other ways before this. This isn't an invention. Fandom is not an invention of the internet by any means, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And so they, the found family baiting, uh, there's Marvel fans that are very famous for being angry at Joss Whedon because he set up in the 2012 Avengers movie, this, this found family. And then we kind of got it in Ultron and then Marvel went, nah, and, and like completely ignored it forever. Um, but yeah, there's an entire tag on archive of our own. That's, that's Clint's farmhouse. (laughs) You can read you can read hundreds of thousands of stories about what happened at Clint's farmhouse. I think I need to now. I had no idea. Oh my gosh. And if you talk to people who ship, who believe in a relation, a sexual relationship between Steve and Tony, that is, there are people that firmly believe it is Canon. that they hooked up at the farmhouse. I can Um, see where that comes from. Yes. Um, And I should say too, for people who don't know the, comics and are just doing the MCU. There's a lot of, a lot of, let me just put this in there. Steve and Tony have a very specific and wonderful and complex and 
and uh, an awkward and beautiful relationship throughout most of the comics runs. Cool. So the dynamic between between Cap and Iron Man is not just an invention of Chris Evans and RDJ and their particular chemistry, which is very real. Um, and I mean, they've talked at length in, in interviews about how the two of them felt that they were the core of this first chapter and kind of what that all meant. But Steve and Tony in the comics and in the cartoons, oh my gosh, if you want to know like found family and how the team really works together and all those kind of things, actually the best is the cartoon Avengers Assemble because it's all that kind of warm, fuzzy, which is on Disney Plus now with everything else. But it like there can never be mortal peril because it's a kid's show. <laughs> so it's just people getting along together and being friends. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> that sounds right up my alley. It also sounds yeah. like something that might be really fun to watch after the kind of confusing relationship between humor and mortal peril that we see in some of these episodes of what if <laughs> uh not yes definitely i know when i saw it was rated tv 14 i was like okay here we go <laughs> i yeah. see what you guys are doing yeah and uh i'm sure we have a little bit more to say about that and also the idea of a yes a found family and then to add a layer to that a wacky team up of of people, a, a, a group yes. of characters who in most contexts wouldn't really make sense together, but who are thrown into some situation and learn to work together and love each other. That is one of my favorite things in the world. When I was a, a kid, like a preteen, I don't even know what prompted this, but I would, like yourself, I was always very much a fan of things. I was a, a avid consumer of magazines uh from a very young age and they started with you know like teen and like pop star magazines and entertainment weekly or whatever it was and i i would just like be so intrigued by pop culture and then that became the internet and this and that and i uh only got into dawson's creek later in life by the way but buffy was my big foray into there are different versions of of this story out there, right? I'm seeing this on the screen, but there are fans who have who have uh, approached the story differently. So anyway, all that to say that uh, I've always been a, a big fan, and I would I would look at you know a list of celebrities who I was reading about in Entertainment Weekly, or I would even consider people who I knew from different parts of my own life, as as many people as I may have known at 12 years old. But <laughs> I would always kind of like play this this mental game of like, what would be the wackiest combination of people to put in an elevator together? And what would happen if they were there? Ooh, and and that's it's a great, great <laughs> icebreaker question. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always been something that's really intrigued me. So that that part of fandom, that part of engaging with an ensemble of characters is something that really um, attracts me to to the MCU. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but in episode five of what if the way that the team, like the, the very bizarre group of characters who were together on this team of people who hadn't been zombified was very, <laughs> very entertaining to me <laughs> for that reason. Um, yeah. I have some questions and a couple <laughs> of suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. Episode five was weird, but we'll get into it. Oh, it was so weird. So we are going to talk about episodes four and five of What If, but I do want to hear a little bit more about what you were expecting before this series came out and what you think of the series so far. Did it kind of meet the expectations you had or have you been surprised by anything? 
So here's one of the beauties of not caring about canon is that I had no expectations. Okay. Um, like I wasn't even sure I was going to watch it. Like I still haven't gotten around to Loki and okay. I probably won't ever watch WandaVision. Um, oh, oh but, breaking my heart. Sorry. I, sorry. Controversial. <laughs> I really can't stand Wanda. I really can't. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. She's my least, she and Star Lord, she and Peter Quill are my two least favorite characters. Um, I just can't. With wow. Them. Okay. I mean, there, that's a whole side conversation we, we have. I, I'm like very neutral on Star Lord, but I'm a big fan of Wanda and I'm so fascinated to hear the other perspective on that, but I don't want to get us too much off track either. No, but I'm, I'm happy to come back and talk about Wanda <laughs> and Ultron anytime you want. Awesome. Um, I think, I think Elizabeth Olsen's portrayal of her is award worthy. I think she's incredible. Um, I don't want to take away any of that. What, what, how she is packaged within the MCU stresses me out. Okay. That's fair. Um, so, but we talked about it actually on my YouTube channel. Um, we had somebody come on who like you quite enjoys Wanda and my partner, Aaron and I, neither of us saw WandaVision and our, and our friend Nadine and the three of us had this whole conversation about WandaVision and trauma and, uh, and what it kind of said, because I also teach about trauma. So she sure. was like, girl, you have to watch the show. I was like, I can't with Wanda. So come tell me what I should know. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I had like no expectations at all. I I saw some of the screenshots because like, of course I did. So the first one of the first ones they released was Steve in an Iron Man suit. And I was like, OK, mm-hmm. I love small Steve. I love a Steve that actually gets the serum and then his body doesn't change. That's one of the iterations I like playing around with in fandom. Very cool. um, that he remains small, but is indestructible. Um, and so I was like, okay, are we going to go in that direction? Are they giving, like, have they been reading fan fiction? Um, and have they been seeing what, what we're talking about? And uh, I have no idea if they are or not, but uh, there's definitely some, what I feel from the series so far is that the people that are creating it are fans of these characters and understand these characters pretty well from my perspective, especially Fury. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite episode so far is episode one, hands down. Um, Really, really loved all of the stuff within that. But then episode three, I thought, and what what happened with Fury and the deaths of the Avengers and and everything else was um, just really, I like the questions we're asking. Um, and Jeffrey Wright can tell me stories whenever he wants to. So I'm happy to have him as our, as our narrator. Uh, but yeah, I've been like, not impressed is too strong. Cause I don't love the ordering here. Like why, why do I need three really depressing ones in a row? Can you guys give me something happy? Great point. Um, Great point. like I, I joked really quickly at, at on discord earlier that today, I was just like, what if these guys could be happy? <laughs> What if somebody could live happily ever after? That's the one I want to see. Um, so I would, I would very much, very much like that. And I wish they would. I like that they're picking the more, some of the more obscure moments of fandom at, or canon, as it were. Um, but I'd also love one to like le- legitimately do like what would have happened if Thor had snapped in Endgame and not Tony. Like what would have happened if Tony mm. lived? Like what would have happened if Steve didn't stay in the past? Like he went and got his dance and then he came forward again, which is spoiler alert, what I think should have happened Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. in the progression of his character. 
um, what would have happened if Clint died and not Nat? I would have loved an entire series of just playing with the what ifs of Endgame. Yeah. Um, but uh, like, I recognize that that the fan also, I like that uh, this is setting up, reminding us that these other characters that they've been developing for years are what are kind of going to get us into the, the next chapters of the movies. Um, so I do appreciate that. Um, and then just side note, I, I'm really glad that we have long haired Bucky because that's how he should be. I respect Sebastian Stan's hatred of the wig. Uh, <laughs> and I respect that he wants short hair. We it's his body. He gets to do it. But in my personal canon, Bucky always has long hair. So I'm very happy with that. How have you, have you been, did you, what were your expectations for it? Yeah, I am a huge fan of the movies and, and the Disney plus shows. And as I said, I, am not super familiar with comics. So my entry into being a fan of Marvel stuff has always been movies, starting with the X-Men and Spider-Man, Sam Raimi movies. So I, and I'm a big visual cinematic person and we, you and I have a lot of things in common, but one of the things we don't have in common we're learning here tonight is uh, how we feel on Wanda and then how we feel on movies. Like I'm a big movie person, right? So, and so this is why this conversation is so delightful. <laughs> so I'm also not a huge animated person. And so going into this series, I was a little bit nervous about how I would connect to the characters and the stories in the animated format. And I was also a little bit unsure about how I would feel about stakes and consequences if we were dealing with these kind of one-off what-if stories that, for all intents and purposes, seem, based on the marketing around all of this, to be connected to the interweaving canon of the 25 films and the Disney Plus shows. So I was a little bit unsure on that. I will say that as I get used to the format I do feel myself giving in a little bit more and letting go a little bit more um, in this experience of watching What If. And I, I think the scenarios in What If are asking for an even greater suspension of disbelief than usual <laughs> with, uh -huh. with these fantastic, you know, we get these fantastic superhero stories, but to your point earlier, they also resonate as human stories. But here we have in the animated format there, they can do things that they couldn't necessarily do in live action. The episodes are very short and the week to week, the episodes haven't been explicitly connected to each other yet. So I am experiencing a lot of inconsistency in my connection to what's happening emotionally or, or cognitively my connection. It's been up and down. So my, my favorite episode was, has been the, the third one and it, it still is the third one the one that you mentioned with Nick Fury and Earth's Mightiest Heroes dying, because I, for whatever reason, I felt the emotional weight of that episode, partially because, as you can tell from the name of the podcast, Nick Fury's There Was an Idea speech has always resonated with me, and the idea of believing in this group of heroes is something that I find very heartwarming. But then an episode like episode four, <laughs> the Doctor Strange one, which oh. is very dark and uh, it got really, really heavy, but I didn't feel that personal connection as much. I didn't feel like I was emotionally tapped in and I was a little bit more mixed on that episode. And then <laughs> episode five is kind of, other than episode three, probably my other favorite one. 
And I'll, I'll share a little bit more when we actually get to talking in about the episode in a little bit more de- more detail. But in terms of emotions, that was a total whiplash episode. There's all these characters we know and love dying in incredibly gruesome ways. And depending on which scene it is, the other characters might be reacting to it in an emotional way, but sometimes they weren't. And they were really flippant about the death of the zombie versions of the characters, or even just, it was very bizarre. And, and because what if is what it is, they didn't have time to deal with loss and grief for each and every one of these characters who their zombie version died or they got turned into a zombie. But then at the same time, they did have really emotionally charged moments with Peter Parker. So (laughs) I guess to summarize what I'm saying, what if has been very confusing for me in terms of my my engagement emotionally, Uh, but I'm trying to kind of just not ask too many questions and suspend the disbelief and just kind of surrender to the premise and the format. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best. Somebody, my friend just said, I'm letting the multiverse happen to me. (laughs) And I think that's like the best that we can ask for actually. Uh, I agree that there is not the emotional resonance. And some of that I think is that even though they can, even though these are shorter stories, they are still very tied to a big fight sequence so far in all of them some way, Um, which I think is personally to their detriment. There were, there were, especially for me in the zombie one, personally, we could have stretched some of the moments a little bit more and done less with the, like less with the zombies, if it makes sense. Yeah, I'd agree with Um, that. Mm -hmm. And so we we could have we could have done a little taffy pulling there, but yeah, I, I I mean God, like like I said, they love their plot holes. I have so many questions about five, um, <laughs> but I think overall, overall, I've enjoyed it for sure. I do like I, I am a little bit more uh, engaged in the cartoons, and that's because of of the fandom participation. I like there's whole fix that are written in cartoon verse, and I was finally like, oh, that's cool. What, what, what is this? What, what, what? And so then on a afternoon during lockdown, I was like, sure, I'll watch Avengers assemble. That sounds great. Um, and I discovered that there is an entire like cartoon movie based around Marvel's ultimates comic run. Like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll watch that. That I, somebody streamed for me on a platform. So the communal aspect of fandom is really nice. Cause like, I'll say, Oh, I really like this. And somebody will pile in and be like, Oh my gosh, I love it too. And here's the 94 things else that I love. And I'm like, okay, cool. So in that way, I think I have been primed for this format a lot more than yourself sure. because I have never, because for the last two years, like since Endgame came out, everything I've been experiencing has been fragmented. And I lean into the multiverse so intensely where it's just like, okay, this, this is in this category and this is in this and okay, here we go. Um, I believe there are, you know, 94 Captain Americas and, you know, this is, and they all behave a little bit differently. And a couple of them were even kidnapped by Hydra. And so what does that mean? And, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But yeah, I can completely understand if you were somebody who is used to the emotional resonance of the arc of Canon, that this is wow, a different feeling. Yeah, I can see that. It's interesting. Yeah, I find myself a little bit at odds with, oh, wow, this is really awesome to see this different. And I've 
it throughout different periods of my life. Like I have engaged with, with fan fiction and fan works and, uh, you know, head canons and things like this. And so that part is, uh, as I said, is, is appealing to me. Then there's just something about maybe the translation to it's almost, um, not different enough or because it has the actors voices it's like this uncanny valley kind of thing i'm still working through my relationship to this but as i said i have the best time with these episodes when i kind of let go of some of the uh the questions that i have about are these really and i mean the answer is no they're not the same versions as, as the characters we're seeing on the big screen but are these even in spirit you know a different version of the character so that's a fascinating question. And, and I would love to use that as a jumping off point to, can I now complain about episode four and Dr. Strange? Please. Yes. Uh, yes. We'll segue into our conversation about episode four. <sighs> okay. I'm taking a deep breath here regarding episode four. So caveat ahead of time. I've not seen the first Dr. Strange movie. And based on the trailer for Spider-Man that we're getting, I'm not sure I'm going to see the multiverse of mayhem or whatever. Stephen Strange does not resonate with me for a host of reasons, including that Cinnamon Toast and Crunch is not like a warm actor to me. (laughs) Um, Excellent. (laughs) I've just never, like he's Sherlock, like that's what he is. Um, And I've never fully bought him as Strange. And uh, so that's just, that's, uh, so caveat to that. To me, the gut punch of this episode at the end. So I love, first of all, that they brought in that there are fixed points in time, just like Doctor Who, because if that is a truth in canon, in Marvel canon, that's going to anchor us as they spin out to the gajillion multiverses I think they want to do. When I look at these projects that they have lined up from here on out, I'm like, okay, we're just going multiverse mad, man. And that's great. Like, let's keep going, but we got to have something. And so I like that there are fixed points. You cannot change that. You'll create a paradox that, that folds in on itself. And that's, that's in, you know, like I said, that's also in Dr. Who, um, which is a fandom I am in as well. So I really liked that point, but the whole driving thing of this episode for me is that, um, that is, is that you lost your, is that he lost his heart, which meant he actually couldn't love anymore because none of what we saw was about loving Christine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. None of it. Everything we saw was as the quasi sane strange said towards the end is this is entirely about his ego, but the idea of losing his tether to humanity. And that's really what he lost when Christine died in this, in this universe, I think is utterly fascinating. I also think it could have been told in approximately seven minutes (laughs) and I didn't need the, I didn't need that whole training montage in the middle with the demons and the, I just didn't need it. And so like, I totally tuned out in the middle because I already knew I'm 38. I've seen some stories before I knew where we were going. (laughs) And they didn't do anything to keep for me to keep me in. I didn't tune back in until the scene with like normal until the scene was strange and disappearing Wong. Okay. And like that moment where he was like, well, I have to fight. Cause for you, cause like the center of, of the center of that franchise obviously is those two, like they are the core of that. Right. Um, and Christine is always tangential 
even in the comics that I've encountered, she's tangential to his story beyond it being a fixed point of foundation. But, you know, Wong is his, Wong is his person. So that was emotionally resonant with me. The way that they had the the cartoon move his face when he was talking to Wong. Mm-hmm. But then like no, no, nothing else. Um, I'm always happy to hear Rachel McAdams. So it was lovely to just spend some time with her voice. And I did like the, let's try to save you 14 million ways, but don't worry, the universe is still going to kill her off. <laughs> um, that desperation, that montage was okay for me. But the training thing with the demons, like, oh, no, I was, I was on Twitter. I was checking my phone. So that's a great example to me of the unevenness of this whole series is that the resonance is there and it's really important and that those like three or four really key lessons, but unlike three and five and, and one, even honestly, I felt this way about two as well. Just, I felt we could have told the whole T'Challa star Lord story a lot quicker than we did. I know some people that think that that episode was perfect and they loved it. Just, it didn't work as well for me. Um, But like three and five were so great because we, while we still did the dumb to me, big fight scenes or whatever, we still interspersed it with the taffy pulls of emotions and four just like never really bothered to do that. Yeah. I think maybe you're getting at something that explains why I felt really mixed on episode four as well, because there were certain things about the premise of the episode that I was very intrigued by. And you know, at least uh, in theory, you know, should be ought, ought to be emotionally engaged by. It's really cool to talk to somebody who hasn't even seen the first Doctor Strange movie, but who is familiar with the character from the comments uh, and not just the the comics, excuse me, and not just Strange's character, but Wong and Christine as well. It's cool to hear your take on that because, uh, well, one thing I did like about this episode of What If was that, like with the Incredible Hulk in episode three, they kind of did, here's the two-minute animated animated version of what happens in the actual movie. And that was kind of cool. I just like to see that. Um, yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Rachel McAdams, I was really excited to see back here because I definitely think, you know, she's such a, a great actor and she was pretty much not given much to do in the Doctor Strange movie. I don't know oh, if she'll no, she be back. Oh, no, she was well underserved. Yeah. 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 And and I don't know if she'll be back for Multiverse of Madness because I'm very excited about that movie, but I don't know what her role would be. I'm not quite sure how she would fit into it. And so I was excited to see her here at first, not just the character of Christine, but knowing you know that it was voiced by, by Rachel McAdams. And then I realized she was dying. And I was like, okay, that's a bummer. And then I realized she was going to die over and over again in a time loop. So then she would be in more of the episode. And that made me, not that it made me feel better that she was going to die over and over, but it made me feel a little bit better that, okay, we're going to get more of her in this episode because I was just, I mean, even still... <laughs> She's killed <laughs> multiple times in many gruesome ways. And I, I felt a little bit like they're they're doing Rachel McAdams' character here dirty a, a second time. But yeah, it was it was an interesting, an interesting episode. It was great to see Wong. I, I like the interaction between Strange and Wong, like you said. And the this idea of an absolute point in time is really intriguing. I have some questions about that as well. Because in this episode, the Ancient One says that without Christine's death. Strange wouldn't have defeated Dormammu, but in the movie, he does. That's like, she doesn't die in the movie, and yet he still defeats Dormammu. So I don't know what to make of that. 
Yeah, I just assumed that that was a mistake. Um, <laughs> or like, I just, just, yeah. Or that it's that, because at that point, the multiverse had already split off. Okay, maybe. It's possible. Sure. Um, so I should say too, like, I have really, really negative emotions around the current Spider-Man trailer and what we're being shown about how Stephen Strange and Peter Parker are treating the multiverse. Mm. Um, and I can unpack that further if we need to, but, or if you want me to, cause I can get on a soapbox about it. I am but, really curious. I am, I am, but I want you to finish your other thought first. Um, this episode does not line up with what I think that trailer is telling us about strange. And so that's where I was just like, okay, this is just a complete offsuit. They're like, there are pieces of this where they're just having fun, but what if is maybe giving us the, here's what we need you to always remember about these characters. Humans will always find hope. These people will always find home. There is always like, these are the things, but the details, they're just, they just don't care. They're having fun. Okay. And I could totally get with that. I could lean into that. Um, What's going to be an issue is kind of like what I said before, right? If it's not just that. And if they are trying to kind of force points of continuity that don't necessarily seem like they're there. Um, So I'm really curious to hear what to you seem like the disconnects between what we're seeing here for Dr. Strange and what we see in the Spider-Man trailer. Okay. So I am mean to believe that the Peter Parker who spent all of far from home grieving the death of Tony who at that point had already met Dr. Strange Mm -hmm. and already knew that like you could do this kind of shit does not go back to him to ask to like see Tony again, goes back to ask him to fuck with time because he's getting bullied. This feels incongruous with the Peter that we have been told about. And also the ancient one and like everybody we've ever met, including strange himself tells us that we can't really mess around with time. Um, like he has seen all of the outcomes and he tells, he, he tells Tony that there is one outcome in which they win. Like that's it. He can't mess with it. That's it. And it required Tony to die, but he's going to mess with time because Peter's getting bullied. Yeah. It, that part makes absolutely no sense and so i am thinking that i'm thinking maybe it's misleading and that it's not the actual dr strange i hope so because i'll I tell so you too. my other pet theory is that this the is that uh the steve rogers that went back in time is a scroll so like that's that'd be great <laughs> and so then that's fine what you're telling me is that that steven strange that is about to do all this shit is the guy who went and became a demon to save Christine, then there's a continuity and that's okay. Sure. Um, that he, he shares that, but what I, you know, it's, it's, how do I articulate this cleanly? So one of the driving factors of strange, whenever I talk to people who really love him and one of my closest fandom friends, my God, she's like ride or die for Steven strange. She okay. loves him. Um, and when I ask her like, what, Like, what about Strange really works for you? Like, why do you love him so much? 
the one of the things that she says to her is a core of who he is. And when I read, you know, strange fix, like this is kind of this is a theme that seems to appear is that he is very fastidious with his own emotions for a lot of reasons. And that's one of the things that made him a really good surgeon. So he doesn't actually, he's fastidious with it, but like, he doesn't actually ever know what he's feeling all the time. Mm -hmm. And that the practice of the, of engaging with the mystic arts is what has allowed him to engage with his humanity in a way that medicine never did. So this like explosion of power that he's given as sorcerer Supreme, obviously even more than he had when he was a surgeon has actually allowed him to be more human. Very interesting. Um, and is and and that's one of the core elements of of who he fundamentally is. And if that's so to me, we did see that strange in this, in that in the the one where the ancient one in this episode where the ancient one split them off. Um, we did see that strange that I recognize from that description of who strange is. At the same time, if you're going to give up your humanity because that's what you're inappropriately tied heart to Christine is I can see how still this person that they're talking about becomes the monster that destroys his, his universe. So I can see the character of strange being both of those things at war with each other. Um, but in it, but all that being said, I'm going to take your theory that he's not really Stephen strange um, because otherwise, like I'm not wasting 30 bucks on that movie because that is some straight up nonsense. I really am holding out hope, holding out hope that it's a misleading trailer, even to your point about Peter Parker's characterization. I, I'm hoping that what we'll see is that it'll all make sense once that once that movie uh, reveals itself, because I, I think I, too, as much as it was kind of fun in the trailer to see Doctor Strange in his winter coat, I think I just like these images of the Avengers wearing clothes that they wouldn't normally wear because it's come up a lot. But as much as I liked this image and like him winking at Peter, I was like, this is not the same character. You know, this is not, this is not the character who, like you said, tells Tony Stark, you know, holds up his, his one shaking finger, right? It's not the same guy. So I, I really hope that that plays out. I do love in, in episode four that uh, you, I think you alluded to this moment before the, uh, if we want to be essentialist about it, the good strange says to the evil strange, this isn't love, this is arrogance, our need to fix everything. And that seems to be a moment of self-awareness and self-reflection that Dr. Strange uh, comes to, you know, at least in the narrative of of the movie, his his movie, and then over the course of his other appearances in the MCU, that he he recognizes the arrogance that he's so capable of and moves beyond it, except for, of course, in this timeline in which he really didn't. So I also appreciated your point that like, there's that play on the words in the title where like losing his heart sounds like heartbreak, right? Like with losing Christine, but losing his heart really also means losing his sense of humanity and losing his, uh, to, to use your word from earlier, his empathy. Completely. The other thing that I will say is that when he was at his peak, most terrible, like after he had eaten the, after the bad strange had eaten the good strange, mm -hmm. there's a flash of him that looks a lot like Thanos. Yes. Um, I noticed that with the infinity stones kind of shoved in his head. 
And to me, that's absolutely not accidental. Like, especially with now we follow on from the really funny Thanos interactions in episode two. Yeah. Um, but that's who he was. He was an eater of worlds. Mm. He had turned into an eater of humans instead of a savior of them, instead of a protector of them. Um, and I thought that was a very clever visualization that would be a hat tip to all of us who are in this fandom to know what that meant if you look like Thanos. Sure, sure. Well, speaking of clever visualizations, I think we got a few of those in episode five as well. A few. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, many. Are, yes. You, are you ready to move on and talk a little bit about what if dot 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 zombies? Sure. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Why don't you start? Oh, well, I don't, uh, first of all, I want to, are you a zombie movie person? Like, do you enjoy zombie, you know, fair? I, it depends. I have seen some zombie, I, I do really like horror movies and I have seen a lot of very bad horror movies, uh, some involving zombies. I have also really enjoyed Night of the Living Dead and uh, Train to Busan. So yeah, I wouldn't say I've never seen Walking Dead. I've always kind of meant to. But yeah, so I wouldn't say I'm a huge zombie person, but I also am not turned off by the idea of zombies. And I have certainly enjoyed some zombie films. Uh, I'm probably forgetting off the top of my head some of the other ones that I've seen and enjoyed. Okay. The only zombie movie I've ever seen is Hot Fuzz. I have not so, seen that one. <laughs> and it's not even really a zombie movie. It's like a brainwash movie. So like I've seen Sean, I think I've seen parts of Shaun of the Dead. I yes. say this because I'm not a zombie person. I will not watch um walking dead and it's not like a it's not a like horror aversion I, I just find it not interesting um and so like i think because the thing is like in the true zombie apocalypse everybody in my life knows that they are in charge of simply stepping on my neck i have no desire to survive that nonsense <laughs> so like just we're done we're good i'm comfortable with where what i think the next life is so i don't need to to eat other living. I don't need to eat humans. So just <laughs> put me out of my misery. Um, I liked this episode a lot. I don't think I liked it as much as you um, based on what you've, what you've already said. The things I really liked about it were giving Peter a chance to be in, I think it's very clear that we're supposed to believe he's still like 17, 18, 19, kind of in that very, um, very closely like post, like this is a parallel timeline to end game, right? Like that's, that's kind of what we're thinking. And so he's still very fresh in adulthood, which to me makes sense that he is both very emotionally resonant and also so eternally optimistic, mm -hmm. like that he carries mm -hmm. all of this with him. So I love that we get to showcase Peter a little bit. Um, I am never upset when, when Scott Lang shows up, <laughs> it's just yeah. a great Susan of, uh, of ridiculousness. Um, <laughs> I didn't like this. I didn't need vision or Wanda in this. Like, I, I think there was, I don't know, like that just opened up so many damn plot holes for me. I didn't care for how the episode ended at all. 
um, it was just like, okay, well, why doesn't Vision die while he's on the plane? Why didn't, like, it just made more questions for me than it gave answers. Also, if I could just have a minor moment of screaming as a Northeasterner, <laughs> um, drive to fucking Camp Lehigh, drive, just drive. Why aren't you driving? You have a van, drive. And second of all, I don't know why everybody in the world is obsessed with the idea that if you're, if you are in a train station in New York, you're in Grand Central, you don't actually get trains to New Jersey from Grand Central. You get them from Penn Station. Yes. Yes. Um, And like, literally I was there today. I took a train from New Jersey to Penn Station. Um, I've, I have taken trains in and out of New York for 30 years and I have never been to Grand Central Station ever. So like, no, I shouldn't say that. I went once when a friend of mine wanted to get pictures because she was an Avengers fan. I have (laughs) never taken a train in or out of Grand Central Station. So I just had these like little moments where I was like, Jesus, just drive. Like where we are (laughs) supposed to believe Camp Lehigh is, is where Fort Dix is. Like that's in the canon and and that's the middle of New Jersey. It's a two hour drive from Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Have fun guys. State Parkway. Just go. Um, I was like so angry because it's dumb. The whole, like the whole scene there and then in Grand Central doesn't need to happen. And like all of that kind of stuff, to me, it was just this mess of contrivances that that were like, uh, in the middle of that, these really great character moments. Like, I do think that Bucky would be that flippant about zombie Steve's death at that point because Bucky has seen so much trauma. Mm. And so he understands better than anybody that once something takes over your body, you are not yourself. He wasn't killing Steve. He was just killing a creature and that's it. We're that's done. a great point. That's a great um, point. And like, that's why he wasn't broken up about Sam either. Sam like well, he understands, right? yeah, that once something takes over your body, you're not yourself. We're, we're done now. And I could watch Bucky and Okoye and Peter, if they could just do a trio buddy cop road comedy, that would be fine. Um, That would be amazing. Did love that they didn't need to give us shirtless Bucky, but they gave him to us. So thanks (laughs) for that cartoon people. And um, I love anytime Bucky palms, the, the shield is wonderful to me mm-hmm. um because it's such a good callback to winter soldier and then also now to falcon and winter soldier and what we know of him in that series and what we know and what we know throughout that um but beyond be, so i liked the character beats in it but because i don't care about zombies i was just like okay i don't okay i should also say not only have i not seen dr strange i haven't seen a single ant-man movie so um, I didn't know who Kurt was, had to ask people who that, what, what was going on with that. And I didn't really, I don't ever resonate, resonate with hope as a, like, as a character on screen. I know a lot more of her. I know a lot more of her in the comics. Um, and in particular, uh, it's really interesting. There's a whole iteration where Janet and Tony grew up together. Um, and oh, like, wow. they're really good friends. Yeah. Um, and they dated at one point, even in one of the iterations of the comics. So obviously a time shifted, a, you know, a, a, and, and Hank is, is on the team and they're all in the same generation. Very interesting. Um, and I, lo- I love those. And I mean, Hank's a dick um, in the comics. So that doesn't change. Yes. That I've heard of. Yes. Um, yes. But I, so it was this mental mind shift to me to be like, oh yeah, they're the Michael, we have the Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer, like genre of Hank and and Janet here. 
Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of my thoughts. I enjoyed it for sure, but I enjoyed the human moments per usual a lot more than anything to do with zombies. What about you? Yeah, I would agree with uh, with what you just said there, that I definitely the aspects of it that I enjoyed were the human moments that involved humor between characters, that involved relationships between characters, that involved some of those emotional beats, or not. I, As I said, I'm also kind of leaning into this, and when... <laughs> When Hope Van Dyne goes, I'm covered in Sharon, it's like... <laughs> oh my God, that was amazing. <laughs> you can't simultaneously, right, like, uh, be emotionally upset about what these people just went through and witnessing Happy and Sharon, you know, both go through what they just went through and then also laugh at I'm covered in Sharon, but I chose to laugh at I'm covered in Sharon because how could you not? So, <laughs> so in that moment, I'm choosing not to put myself on this team of people who not only have seen so many of their loved ones already be taken by this zombie virus, but then also the people they're working with are literally dropping like flies. So I'm like, okay, if we're here for some humor, we're here for, for some humor. I absolutely love what you said about Bucky and the way that he responds to seeing zombie Sam like literally be cut in half by Koye and then he himself using the shield um, on Steve. I, I think that you make a really, really good point that that's consistent with Bucky's character and everything that he's been through and how he has, uh, how he needs to see humanity and human choice and agency. And I, I think that the way you put that really um, made that click in my brain, because in those moments at first, I was a little bit like, oh, man, you're going to use the till the end of the line line on this, right? Like, that's such an important line in their friendship, um, but that they repeatedly say that to each other. And then for him to just say, like, I guess this is the end of the line. At first, I was like, oh, wow, that feels like a little bit of a flip usage of that. But I think the way that you're putting it is is encouraging me to reframe that as this poor guy, Bucky, who has been through so much and having to kill the zombie version of his best friend is just another thing on the list. And like, I guess this is the end of the line. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah. And I think the other thing too, is I think that, um, that all of these folks are flip. Yeah. And that that's a trauma response. Um, yeah of the, of the perpetual trauma. So I th I say this to you. So I should say I did my PhD in Northern Ireland. Oh, wow. And, wow. uh, yeah. And, uh, I've been studying academically. I've been studying how people live, um, with each other for a long time, but in a lot of conflict zones. So I've studied Colombia. I've done work in Colombia and Rwanda and South Africa and Northern Ireland. I lived there for five years. My husband is from there, that's where we met uh, the whole nine. And he grew up in the middle of their ethno-national conflict. And I teach the kind of like origins of their ethno-national conflict. And I will say that I've been in deep, intense conversations with people about like their father's murder. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of it, they're cracking jokes about how much like they're making really dark, sarcastic comments about, you know, like th their dad's toupee. So I didn't, None of that, that the way that like I'm covered in Sharon, or I guess this is the end of the line. None of that read to me as flip or took me out of it because in my brain, all of that was how humans interact still when they're in massive trauma. Fascinating. Is we still like, we deeply have to find levity somehow. And so you're still a human 
even when you're in the middle of all of this garbage. I see this, I see this so, so much. Like I was, I won't trauma dump and, and explain, but like I was somewhere in a very traumatic environment that involved bones, for instance. Mm-hmm. And um, we're standing there and like really gravely, like with forensic pathologists and everything. And the director of the project that I was on, like said, Hey, Kristen, can you give me a hand? And I like turned around or like, yeah, can you give me a hand? And I turned around and he pointed to a skeleton on the table and he was like, that one's fine. (laughs) And it was like an actual human hand, (laughs) it was, you know, and it was like, okay, we have to do this now. So it didn't read to me that way. However, I can completely understand why that would feel like it's taking you out of the moment. I was just like, oh yeah, everybody I work with is doing battle all the time time, whether it's with guns or it's with their souls. And so this just feels normal. That's fascinating. And I appreciate so much you bringing that lens into it. And it's kind of, it's kind of serendipitous that it it happened that this is one of the episodes that we're discussing together, because that's not a way that I would have, um, maybe I would have started to get there in thinking about Bucky, but I, I think that what you're sharing here is something that's so true and it's it's definitely making those moments in the episode ring ring more emotionally true for me as well so thank you for bringing in that lens and that perspective um you are very welcome i'm always happy to talk about depressing topics (laughs) yeah and apparently so is the television show what if (laughs) yeah they're not they're not really yeah (sighs) this is this is and i this is my biggest beef with comics too, by the way, Marvel as a franchise is not interested in happily ever afters. No, they're not interested in rest or joy or all of the other things that all of us who are humans who resonate with the humans in their characters. Like we want to see this. Like, I think that's actually for me, one of the reasons episode one with Peggy Carter worked so well is that it entirely leaned into her humanity in a, in it, it leaned into those moments of like, I mean, Bradley Whitford's characterization of the terrible um, army general, general is so perfect. Right. Cause I, I watch him do the same work on handmaid's tale um, and how snarky he is and how great he is. But we got in Steve's humanity as well, the conversation of like, I'm still this guy and, and I don't like, I'm your hero and you're my hero. And we're still going to do this. These were human characters in a way that the subsequent four episodes didn't really touch quite as deeply as that one Mm. did. Um, And some of it is, is Haley Atwell's ability to bring the voice acting, I think uh, in, in some really deep and true ways. Uh, And I will also say Sebastian Stan in episode one and Sebastian Stan episode five, someone took lessons in how to do voiceover work between those two episodes. (laughs) And I'm very happy. Definitely for him. a difference. Yeah. Oh, God, love him. Um, but I think huh, it's why I write fan fiction because I want the happily ever afters. Yeah. And I, I, I've stopped pretending that Marvel will ever, I've stopped not pretending that's rude. I've stopped hoping that Marvel love will give them to us. But I, ha- I do have high hopes for this party Thor episode that keeps getting teased. I'm excited for that as well. I hope that that's a lighthearted one. To your point earlier, I don't know why these have been ordered in such a way that the 
darkest and ones that deal most heavily with seeing characters we love be killed brutally um, kind of all came in a row. But and God, especially that fourth one to talk about a opposite of a happy ending. You hear the watcher's voice say one life, one choice, one moment can destroy the entire universe. And that's it. <laughs> credits. And <laughs> done. I know the credits came. I was like, OK, yeah, cool. And then, um, yeah, and that's like one life, one moment, one choice saved the entire one and end game. So like you already made that point. Why are we making that point again? Mm-hmm. Um, was one of was one of my things. So I was like, the point here is not that. The point that you made with the episode is that your humanity is tied. Love and humanity are tied together. Right. The episode right. was not about choices. The episode was about humanity. And so to like do that really oblique, terrible voiceover at the end, I was like, oh come on, guys, you don't even know the story you're telling. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a couple when the when the series first started, the the Peggy Carter episode seems to be very clearly about a choice. And it seemed like they were going to be leaning into this idea of one choice that changes everything. But I'd agree with you as as the episodes go on, it becomes further and further detached from this idea of there being one choice that changes everything. I will say in the zombies episode after coming off of the Doctor Strange episode, I did appreciate the levity of this episode. And even when, as I said, I found it a little bit of of a back and forth kind of whiplash of, am I supposed to be feeling sad right now? Am I supposed to be laughing right now? Maybe the answer to your point is yes, (laughs) both every all the time. Um, But I, I kind of appreciated the idea of this team up between, as I said, I love a weird team up. So we have a team that involves the survivors of the zombie apocalypse Peter Parker, Hope Van Dyne, the Doctor Strange's cloak <laughs> is part of the team. Oh my gosh, the cl- we haven't touched the cloak. Oh God, I love the cloak. Great. Wonderful part of the episode. Love that the cloak's on the team. Um, Happy Hogan's on the team. Kurt from Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, who I do find to be a very funny character and had no idea, you know, the whole Baba Yaga comment was a... Uh, you know, a callback to this little anecdote that he tells in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it also sort of served as foreshadowing when he's talking about the witch, the witch, and then we do get Scarlet Witch at the end. So that kind of worked out. Um, Who else is on this team? Bucky Barnes, as you said, in the shower with his long hair. I know uh, my previous guest, Emily, is also going to be very excited about this episode. We haven't talked about it yet, but I know that she was very much looking forward to seeing long-haired Bucky again. So shout out to her. And uh, Sharon Carter is on the team, and I loved, <laughs> in true Peter Parker fashion, it, it reminded me of the opening of Far From Home when they have the um, I Will Always Love You Whitney Houston song over this montage of like really cheesy photos of all of the Avengers who died. And it's Spider-Man's How to Survive the Zombie Apocalypse, and he has like these info cards with a lower third about each of the members of the team. And in Sharon Carter's, it mentioned under her skills, it listed eulogies. And I thought that yeah, was that pretty was funny. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> and also, again, obviously, a, you know, a callback to Civil War, but also kind of grim considering, you know, this episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, yeah, I forgot to talk about the Sharon of it all because 
I, uh, my, my least favorite part of Falcon and Winter Soldier is the choices they've made with Sharon. Mm-hmm. So I, I love Sharon as a character and, um, I, I like Emily, um, Van Camp as well in her portrayal of Sharon. And this Sharon is actually my favorite Sharon so far. <laughs> so I liked yeah. the Sharon. I like, I did like the Sharon as well. Um, we had a Koye here as well. Uh, Peter wears the cape at one point, or excuse me, the, the cloak. Uh, so th- there was some stuff there, like the interaction between this unlikely group was something that I found very satisfying. And I could imagine, you know, in the writer's room, people saying, okay, the OG Avengers minus Hulk here have all been taken by the zombies, zombified. Uh, it starts with the premise that T'Challa has also been zombified. Obviously, we learn that it's actually not quite that. Scott Lang as well. So they're like, okay, so who do we have here who are going to team up together and <laughs> go find this cure? And I, I would love to have been a a ant-man or wasp sized <laughs> ant on a fly on the wall in those conversations see how they came up with kurt and happy hogan and sharon and okoye and like how they matched these people together it was it, it's very delightful yeah i thought it was a great chemistry and then when scott was wearing the cloak at the end yes. also great <laughs> moment yeah that was great um also what I believe is the first mention of Uncle Ben in the MCU when Peter talks about all of the loss he has experienced. And and that moment did land for me emotionally when he's talking with Hope and and uh, when he says that Aunt May says or used to say, and it's like, oh man, in this universe, Aunt May is dead too. God, this is so sad. And uh, he says that she, he used, that she used to say that you need to keep smiling, you know, for those who are gone. And I, that definitely resonated to me, but I thought that was interesting that they they mentioned Uncle Ben. That's a great point. I didn't even realize that because I must fill in Uncle Ben in my own brain a lot uh, for him. Mm-hmm. But you're right. He doesn't come up in Homecoming or in Far From Home. Mm-hmm. So that's right. And I just assumed that May went zombie in this one. So that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Very because if she didn't, we would have seen her was my thought. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. And then in terms of the structure of the episode. So again, there was a lot of stuff in here that I did like, but I'm with you that it also seemed like, you know, it was packing in maybe a little bit too much. And I'm a big fan of Wanda and I'm a fan of Vision as well. But then I, I was also a little bit like, oh, Vision is here now. Oh, and Scott's head is here now. And T'Challa is here now. And like, okay, it, it was like there are so many characters involved in the episode and they don't really have too much time in these short episodes. So it was um, it was kind of interesting. And I felt like I already had a grasp on what was going on emotionally in this episode with Peter and hope. And then they brought in, they brought in visions love for Wanda and how he, uh, he wants to contain her and her anger, but he can't bring himself to get rid of her. And I was like, okay, like, you know, that serves as a nice counterpoint to what she feels and what she does related to him in WandaVision, but at the same time, that almost felt like if you were going to do an episode of What If that dealt with that, maybe it should be a separate episode. It felt like maybe just a little bit much for to pack into this one. Correct. For because me, I yeah. think, yeah, because especially because his whole shtick was we have to do things with logic. And I was like, okay, we need more time to unpack that you illogically unleashed a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> like, in, yeah. Okay. There's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We could have done, there's a million other things that could have been at Lehigh. I would have been, like, there's a lot of other ways. Uh, to, I did love the tie into Lehigh, though. Like, I mm-hmm. will say that. 
regardless of my rant about transport to Lehigh. Right. <laughs> um, I did. I did like that. But yeah, it's just I think overall that there was a lot of wasted air in this episode that could have been that could that things could have been tighter yeah. and could have given us more, like we said in the beginning, more room to do the human stuff. If we had gotten rid of Wanda and Vision at the end there and brought in another, you know, even if we had saved zombie Thor for that, like that would have been fine. Mm. Um, Zombie Loki, like those would have been better and you could just dump them in. God, you could have dumped Loki in so fast there. Um, Zombie Zemo, like, oh my gosh, Zemo would have been perfect. I don't think we needed the Wanda and Vision dynamic because you're right. If it was playing off WandaVision, which once you brought that up, that's a great point. It does need a standalone. Yeah, that's that's what I think. If you want to do service to a what if Vision, you know, blah, 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 blah. I think that that could have been it, it, its own its own thing. I do think from more of a a cartoon appreciation standpoint as i said uh i was a little bit hesitant about the animated format it's not something that i necessarily always connect with but i did think it was really cool to see the hulk and zombie scarlet witch um on screen together that was kind of just a cool visual so i did like that yeah i mean i appreciate all the visual like i i loved the visuals of even how they zombified cap and iron man and strange like i I do like the imagination unleashed that comes with cartoons. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, we have a few more episodes of what if, as you said, there's the party Thor episode coming up as well as I know one that's going to feature Killmonger beyond that. I'm not quite sure what the other ones are going to involve, but what are some of the thoughts that you have on your mind for the rest of what if, is there anything that you're hoping to see? <laughs> There's lots I'm hoping to see, but I would, I will never absolutely never see. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I would love what if <laughs> mine are all about like rewriting Canon a little bit. So like, what if Peter had actually called pepper in far from home when Stark tech was going nuts? Oh. Cause she was, you know, the CEO of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably would have had the kill switch for that technology. So I would, I have lots of what if questions that I would love for this series to answer. And I would love as well for this to bring in some of the young Avengers that we know we're going to be getting. Yeah. So, you know, what if Morgan Stark grows up to be an Avenger, which she doesn't do in the comics? Um, I don't even think she, she doesn't exist in the comics. So what if, what if that, that would be fun. What if, I don't know, there's just so much more. I want so much more smooching. Like what if so, <laughs> what if these people fell in love? Um, that I always want more smooching, but I think that's it. Yeah. The Killmonger one, I believe is coming up next. If I'm okay. reading seeing the preview correctly. Um, yeah. So what if Killmonger's the hero? That would be that. Cause I think one of my favorite parts of Black Panther is that they posit that he very well should have been in some ways and that by by T'Chaka's actions Wakanda itself is the enemy of Mm African-Americans and 
what does that look like? And, oh my God, we could play with that forever. Please. That sounds amazing. Um, would love a what if entirely around the Cape and the Cape's adventures. Yeah. <laughs> what if the Cape went on vacation? I'll watch a Cape going on vacation. That sounds amazing. Margarita and um, it's Cape hand. Yeah. I love this. Let's chase this. Yeah. What if, uh, what if Tony and Nat were siblings? Oh, I love that. What if Thor, like, what if Thor is a lifeguard? <laughs> I mean, let's have, like, you want to do what ifs? You're asking a fan fiction writer. There's a million. Do I, what do I think they'll do? I, I don't even know the details of party Thor. Yeah. Um, so I, I have no concept. I have a feeling that they are not intentionally tying the details of the episodes to any future plot points. But I do think that every thing that the watcher is saying at the end of every episode are things they want us to keep in mind. I think that you are definitely on something there. I think that the watcher and the watchers thesis statements, so to speak, are going to be important moving forward. The conversation that he has with Dr. Strange when they actually talk to one another, which shows how powerful Dr. Strange had gotten in that universe. I think that conversation is something that we need to keep in mind when he talks about how, you know, I can't interfere. I can't interfere. Um, so I, I do think that that will be relevant uh, moving forward in in the rest of phase four. Yeah. And I personally can't wait to see how the Eternals fit into this. Like, that's the one I've been waiting for forever. I am utterly fascinated. And not only because from a thirst perspective, anytime you want to put Gemma Chan and Richard Madden in front of me, I'm very (laughs) happy with that. But the, I, I have not gotten a chance because of pandemic reasons to see Shang-Chi and I'm not sure when I will be able to again for pandemic reasons. Um, I really wish that while so many of us are in parts of the world where we can't go to theaters, that they would have still released this on Disney plus, but I get that. I get, I mean, they, they didn't because money. So fine, but I have no idea how all of those are going to fit yet. And I can't wait to find out. Yeah. Before we wrap up our conversation here tonight, do you have any last thoughts on your mind? Anything that you want to leave us with? The beauty of fandom is that it allows us to imagine what joy can look like in other people's lives. And so however that works for you, I hope you are doing that. We say the first rule of fandom is to first do no harm and then do you. And I think that that's a life motto as well. So as my, my, beseechment to everybody is that we continue to do that to first do no harm and then do us and chase the joy that these very nerdy and delightful pursuits give us and allow us. Um, cause there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I, I'm going to adopt that do no harm and then do you that's fantastic. So thank you so much, Kristen. This was an awesome conversation. I'd love to speak to you again in the future about anything related to Marvel MCU or fandom. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your thoughts and your perspectives on this episode here today. 
Oh, gracious. Thanks for letting me waffle for so long and being such an incredible conversation partner. I loved your insights. You come at this from such a different perspective than I do. And I'm appreciative to talk with you about it. That's the best part. Yeah. It's always so good to talk to people who have different relationships to the characters, to the content, to the quote unquote canon as we discussed today. And yeah, this was really, this was a blast. If you enjoyed this conversation about episodes four and five of What If, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Pender Illustrations on Instagram. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening. Coming up over the next few weeks, a couple of bonus episodes, a deep dive into Shang-Chi, and episodes six through nine of What If. <laughs>